0: Working Cows Podcast, Episode 170. Welcome to the
1: podcast that gives producers a platform to discuss and share paradigm-challenging practices, practices that have increased the effectiveness of their operation and the joy that their families have received from this lifestyle.
0: Howdy, everybody. It's Clay Connery, host of the Working Cows Podcast. Really excited to be joined today by Curtis Evolo. He is a rancher from Montana. He also does some um, body work or works on, on cars, um, fixing them up when there's a, a collision of some sort. So, uh, But we're going to talk to him about how he's gotten started uh, leasing land. We're going to talk to him about, um, a new piece of property he's got where they're trying to get some soil health and soil fertility started up and, uh, kind of reboot, reboot some land that's been abused and neglected over the years. And that fits well with, uh, something I also want to make you aware of the fifth annual South Dakota soil health coalition annual soil health conference is coming up virtually this week, January 6th and 7th. Uh, If you're hearing this on the week that it releases, on the day that it releases, you got a couple of days to get over to uh, workingcows.net slash 170, the show notes page for today, workingcows.net slash 170, and you can get registered there, uh, and you can sign up, and you'll have an opportunity to hear from guys like Jimmy Emmons, an Oklahoma farmer and rancher, and a Leopold Conservation Award winner. Uh, uh, Lauren Steinlogi, Dale Strickler, Nick Jorgensen, CEO and CFO of Jorgensen Land and Cattle. They save. Uh, $100 per acre and $350 a head while improving natural resources through grazing of cover crops and other soil health uh, practices that they are implementing there. Uh, there's a, a, a bunch of other people that are going to be there, a bunch of uh, people that are involved. Pretty neat uh, format. They're using the Whova platform for this, and it, there's a lot of interaction trying to recreate some of that uh, actual in-the-room conference feel, uh, Q&As, and, and lobby, lobby like atmospheres to interact with people, so uh, pretty neat opportunity. Encourage you to head over to workingcows.net/170. Check out the link in the flyer there and get registered for the fifth annual Soil Health conference put on by the South Dakota Soil Health Coalition, virtually occurring this week, January 6th and 7th. But for now, let's uh, talk to Curtis about what he's doing to improve his soil there in Montana. Curtis, thanks for joining me today on the Working Cows podcast.
1: Well, it's it's good to be here and good to to visit with you. Um, I don't know what the weather's doing over there, but uh, we just started getting a big snowstorm here, so.
0: Yeah, no, we, we are... Our uh, sn- smack dab in the middle of a winter drought, which I guess everybody around here is fond of saying, if you're going to have a drought, this is the time of year to have it. But uh, okay. yeah, we we dried off in, uh, in August, real dry at the end of August and dry through September. We had a good shot of about a foot of heavy, wet snow at the end of October. And that's really the only moisture we've had. So, um, yeah, we're not we are in a very brown Christmas <laughs> staring down the barrel of a very brown Christmas here. So, um, yeah, nothing in it. I mean, forecasted high, I think the next couple of days, uh, we're recording this on, uh, on, um, December 22nd, uh, forecasted high for Christmas, I think is in the forties or fifties. So we'll see, but, uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, n- yep. Yeah. But, but it's, it's, a kind of an exciting exciting time for my wife and i were we're uh just finished up our first season of management on a piece of land that we we bought and uh moved on to last october and uh have been able to implement some some swath grazing and got some bale grazing set up for later when we go to uh ranching for profit in january uh sure. 17th through the 23rd so um we got that all all set up and getting to implement some of this stuff and and so i guess um, you have recently moved on to a new place or 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 closed on an, on a new piece of land and and started some of these or implementing some of these management practices that you've been doing on other places over the years so uh, could you just tell me a little bit about your history of management and your your context that you guys are in where where you're located and what's the what's the place like
1: Sure. Yeah, we're on the west side of the Mission Mountains Um, where we started uh, in St. Ignatius and now we've just purchased a place up in in Ronan, uh, Montana, just just west of Ronan. But um, in St. Ignatius, um, we we ended up over the years, um, we ended up getting a a herd, uh, buying a herd of cows and We had, uh, we had our own property there, um, which was actually only, only 30 acres. Um, and then we, uh, leased a 70 and then we leased another 80. Um, and, uh, through that, we, we grazed our cows, um, in a management style. Um, we just kind of picked it up from actual friend of ours named Tom Gingrich. And, uh, he showed us kind of some pathways of how to do it. And he was, um, he really followed, uh, uh, Jim Garrish and, uh, Greg Judy and followed their principles. And so we kind of picked up on a lot of that stuff and, uh, we started doing, um, a lot of those, uh, same principles. It hasn't been roses. We, we, we've had our fails. Um, we, we moved on to one, uh, we released uh, one piece of ground that, um, when we ate when we ate it down when we ran the cows across it uh the the grass actually went into kind of almost a shock like it was actually getting activity and it actually took a while for the grass uh, took a year for the grass to actually respond to being uh being ate um and so that really was was not what we had expected when we you know when you read the Greg's books and you read, uh, read some of this stuff and you, and you try to figure out the mob grazing and managed grazing aspect of things. You don't expect it to do some of that stuff. Um, you know, to, to go into shocks. So we actually started feeding the cows that year, um, really early. Um, and that really kind of put a bind on us and it taught us a lesson. Um, but, uh, but the, by the following year, um, we actually had uh good growth on it and the grass. There were some other grasses that came up through it, and and uh, really actually started responding better for us, and we were able to maintain and manage the cows on those pieces of property actually fairly well.
0: Yeah, we're experiencing similar things here. This land that we're on has been hayed forever, and in, uh, incidental cow impact at best, I would say, um, and not not necessarily managed cow impact either. So uh, we we ran uh, 70 or somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 animal units, uh, yearlings and, and some crippled cows and then our cow-calf pairs, uh, across it this summer, um, and kind of hit, tried to hit every acre that we could. And, uh, every, you know, they were on, on two to five acres every day or every other day. And so it was kind of a, an opportunity to try and get, get some even even graze on all of it and hopefully some manure and urine. And we saw some of that too, where that stuff that we started off on uh, pretty much all cool season grass. And and I would, I would be hard pressed to find anything but crested wheat out there. uh, That stuff really never grew back. And so that's where we're going to, we're going to hit with our bale grazing. And then we're going to start in another corner and that Mm -hmm. stuff that we hit first last year will be some of the last stuff that we hit this year. So uh, if that if if everything goes to plan lord willing and and all that so i I don't know uh but that's kind of the idea, so you talked about learning some lessons uh when when the grass was in shock and uh you started started haying the cows early uh what were some of those lessons that you learned there
1: well um it was mostly uh you come across the ground and you're you at first you start out. Um, being real uh, uh, precise on how you want, you know, how straight the lines are, how, you know, where your electric fence is, and, and how it all is supposed to look. And you want to be grazing within these little square paddocks. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, so the first couple of days you're kind of going into these pastures and you're thinking, okay, this is going to get us, you know, a day or a day and a half or two days worth of grazing on it. And you come back a half day later in the evening. And you're like, Holy cow, the grass is all gone. And So then, so then you got to make the decision. Do you move the cows that night into the next piece or do you wait and let them go into the next morning? You know? And, and so, um, if you move them that night, um, by morning, you're having to move them again. And so you, so you're kind of, you're trying to, battle a little bit of that management with that where where you got um, decent grass cover but um, the cows are are basically eating ahead of you fast enough that you can't really move through so those were kind of some of the lessons that we had to learn Um, you know and and looking back at it um, there was a lot of there was a lot of weeds within some of those pastures that Some of the cows just uh, wouldn't even, they wouldn't even trample it. You couldn't even get the trample factor. And so we started coming up with uh, um, an idea to change it up to where um, when you open it up, you would open up the line wherever the larger patches of of weeds were through it to Mm -hmm. kind of force them to just trample over that. And so we started learning those things as we went on throughout the year and and uh, and that really helped us. Um, there, there's a lot of people around the area that said, "Oh, the cows will never eat those weeds," you know. And and uh, there's times where you come back and the the, the weeds are completely stripped, and, and you know, and all you got is the stem of a weed sitting there, and and uh, some of the grass is still standing. So it kind of depended on what uh, what really nutrients they wanted to pull out.
0: How did you guys get started um, in? just with cows, is it generational? Is it, uh, were, were you guys the first ones to own cows in your family or how, how'd you guys get started?
1: Well, my, my, my grandpa, um, on both sides, actually, of my family, um, lived in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Um, and that's where my family grew up. Um, my, my one family, uh, of my name, uh, was on the east side of Aberdeen, South Dakota. And my, one of, uh, and my other grandpa of my, my mother's name. Um, it was on the West side of Aberdeen. So, um, and, and so grew up in agriculture, um, with them. And, uh, there, there was various things. They had, uh, agriculture businesses, they had animals, they had cows, they had, like my one, uh, one side of the family had, had, uh, um, Hereford cows. Um, and then also had, uh, um, hogs and hog barns and, and a big hog operation um so being in agriculture was kind of part of it and part of me and i just loved all of it and my dad moved over here uh started a trucking company in uh, in missoula and so that's kind of where i was born i was born here in, in missoula and, and uh, just always loved cows loved part of it always, was involved in a lot of people, uh, friends and family that had cows and horses and stuff. And so always part of it, but really it kind of skipped a generation. Um, and, uh, I, I, we, we just started picking up the cows. What ended up happening is uh, I raced motocross for a long time and, uh, was doing it uh, semi pro and pro and then got injured and, uh, kind of was bored, needed something to do. And, Stuff very well. Go get get some cows, and and uh, so we just got a few few cows and uh, started with that, and then uh, then that grew into more and more of a. Well, I kind of like this. Let's let's get some more cows, and so that's kind of the kind of how the story went. And uh, so then we moved from from uh, Missoula Frenchtown area and bought a place up in san Ignatius, and uh, from there, then I bought uh, we actually bought a uh, a gal's herd that she was actually going, going to go to college and she had, uh, accumulated a herd, a decent sized herd, a herd of 30, 30 mother cows and a couple of bulls. And, uh, she was looking to sell them, uh, so she'd pay her way through college. And so it kind of worked out good for us because, uh, we ended up given a down payment to it and then uh for the next four years we would give her the 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 allotment of the, the you know broke the payment out into four different years for her um that kind of worked out for her and for us um and then so that's how that worked
0: in that timeline were you introduced to uh greg judy and jim garish and those guys
1: well that was um kind of right in the beginning of of me being interested in cows i actually run across the Tom Gingrich, he was kind of a, it was pretty, pretty nice character. Ran into him at the fair, um, one day and we kind of just, I just happened to be standing there looking at some cows and, uh, and he's and he started talking about them and have come to find out those were his cows. And so we got into conversations and the more and more conversation we got, and, um, I was like, well, I want to come look at some. And so I went over there and looked at his place and I bought, bought a few cows from him and, I noticed when he was doing it, he had, I think there was probably 70 or 80, 80 head of mother cows on this 10-acre field for these at this place. And I'm like, holy cow, there's a lot of cows here. And he's like, yeah, they'll be off of here in another couple of days, and they'll be moving over to this place. And what he was doing was he would find, um, in the local area where he was at, he'd find um the housing developments that had 10, 15 acres each. And then he'd go around if they didn't have animals. He'd go around and he'd offer to graze that down for them in, you know, and and just be able to manage through it and help them be able to manage their grass rather than having to cut it or anything like that. So he actually was, was doing this in, in kind of, um, you know, 10 to 15 acre increments through subdivisions. It was actually kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And people just loved it because the cows he'd, he'd herd them through with the horses and, and, and run them into their places or whatever. And, um, the only problem he ran into several instances was, was getting water to them. And so Mm. we, he taught, you know, for that probably six months or so, he kind of really taught me, I'd go down there and visit and we'd hang out. He he really taught me how to do it, how to manage them cows through some of that stuff. And, And I really started getting intrigued by it. So, um, he handed me, uh, Greg Judy's, uh, Comeback Farms, uh, book. And so I took that in and started reading it and, and everything. And so it was in my mind, okay, this is what we're going to do, but I never put it into full practice for a year and a half while we had the beginning start of the cows. And then, um, as we moved up here up into St. Ignatius, I was like, okay, now we can put it into practice. We got irrigation, we got the good, uh, good grasses up here. We got the capabilities of being able to rotate through and follow through with irrigation, et cetera, et cetera. And so it really worked out well for us the first, first year being able to do that. And that was until we started getting, um, a bigger herd. Once we got the bigger herd, then it was, it was time to start managing some bigger, bigger pieces of ground. And so up where we're at, that's, kind of the benefit that we have we can actually run um you know a cow calf pair a unit on an acre um acre you can actually in the summertime there's sometimes when you can run two units an acre um just to keep up with the grass so um we do have that capabilities here to where we can run more cows on our ground um just because of the irrigation
0: have you guys uh pursued your uh leasing irrigated land has that been kind of part of your your business model throughout uh your your history or how how much of that how much of a role in what you guys are consuming with your animals uh has that played
1: yeah we we try to find um as much irrigated ground as we can uh to lease up and to to actually uh work with um and there's a lot of places that uh if it has a wheel line or if it has a pivot or any of that stuff, um, forget about it. Somebody else has already got it leased up. Usually the, the, the flood irrigation is usually what we end up leasing uh, more than more than anything because a lot of people don't want to mess with it. They don't want to mess with the, the flood irrigation aspect of it. And, and I can understand that, and I can, I can fully agree with that um, in some ways but it also becomes a management, uh, management tool where you got water close by. (laughs) You can, you can manage, you can manage that fairly easily, um, with electric fence, um, put, you know, run, run the tarps out one direction and move the cows to another side. And you got, you got instant, uh, water for them to drink, you know? So, there's some there's some definite pluses to it but it's also it also becomes a uh a physical uh thing that you have to really get through
0: so are those leases of flood irrigated ground do they tend to be uh cheaper than the pivot irrigated for you guys
1: oh yeah 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 you you know most of the time if it's a wheel line or a pivot irrigated if it's if it's at all flat um the the hay guys will will snatch it up and uh you won't, you won't get it for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's tied up for many years, which, you know, you don't, you don't blame them. Um, I, I kind of looking at the same thing my own way is trying to, we got to start looking for some of that stuff ourselves. My son and I, um, he wants to start, uh, actually build, build uh, building a business of, uh, of being able to do his own hay and custom hang for people. So that is some big stuff over here because of the irrigated ground. Um, we do have the capabilities of putting up quite a bit of hay out of this area.
0: And is most of that hay getting run through a horse then?
1: Yeah, you know this there is a lot of this area that does um, that does do uh, hay uh, for horses. Um, us particularly won't be. We'd be mostly doing uh, the hay for ourselves, for the cows, and then also um, doing hay for other cow. Uh, customers cow people but we have talked about it um, doing it into uh, small squares just for uh, being able to sell to horse people um, you know that typically the horse people really don't really buy the the big rounds as often as as the uh, as the cows do um, but you know you can you can actually sell you know a hundred hundred small square bales um, you know, on a weekend or whatever to somebody. And, you know, so it does keep you busy, um, as far as trying to distribute that hay once, once that goes on.
0: What's, is there a season of use that you're limited to then on that irrigated ground generally?
1: Yeah. You know, there's, um, some of them, one of the leases that we have, um, we ended up, we end up using it pretty much all year long. Um, we might give it a break, um, uh, as far as grazing wise, um, for a couple of months, but that actually ends up being a really good piece because the people that we lease it from are there. Um, just they're, they're there all the time, uh, on their, uh, at their house. And so what ends up being is we, we send over our yearlings, um, we'll send over our yearling heifers over there. And, um, the, the guy that, the guy that owns it just loves having the cows there. And so he, he, uh, he'll feed them. He'll, he'll play with them. He'll throw out treats for them and stuff. So when they get done there, they're spoiled rotten, but, um, but it's, it's good because, um, the grass, the grass will, will close off one side of the pasture or whatever, you know, and and keep them in a smaller area, but they'll, they'll, uh, they actually maintain and do good and they and they plump up and and look well when, when springtime comes around. In fact, it's, it's kind of like, Sometimes those heifers look better than the ones that we're feeding with the uh, feeding out with hay and and uh, the mineral blocks and everything. So uh, it's it's kind of one of those. It's almost like you just let the cow do what it needs to do. And they know what to do.
0: Couple, just one production note here. I'm I'm sitting in my van recording this episode, and we did get a wind kicked up. So if you hear some rumbling in the background, it's just the the wind rocking my van back and forth but uh, anyways it's it's all good I just thought if somebody was wondering what was going on in the background that's that's what's happening <laughs> so uh, I'm not I'm not under enemy fire or anything like that but um, so uh, you guys are moving cows around quite a bit to different pieces of land or, or are you able to stay in one place uh, for a number of months or how, how is that working for you guys
1: well, this year created its own challenge, just in the fact that we uh, sold one property and then uh, had to give up one lease, um, so we could move over to this other place. And so it provided a, but it provided a bit of a challenge. But normally, what we've done is um, we would normally run um, a moderate sized herd with a bull in on one pasture or one field, um, and then do the same on another one. So you'd end up having two or three different um basically grazing pods where they would graze through their own fields and and it wouldn't I wouldn't uh move cows, you know, a whole herd, um, as far as, you know, a large mob into each field and then graze through it and then and then move off. So we'd each one would have their own basically grazing areas and have equal amount of rest on the ones that we've already ate. So I would typically, I would typically stock that field, um, to whatever, uh, whatever I was going to be able to get back to as long as I had 45 days before I got back to where I was already grazed before or better, you know, so there was sometimes we'd get back to it, you know, 60 days. So, it, it would just, I would just stock it at those rates. Um, so we wouldn't end up having it. And the reason is is because, um, we were broke up by, by several miles. Um, so you'd have, you know, one lease property, that would be one, you know, four or five miles away from the house. And then uh, another one would be, you know, three miles away from the house and, but it'd be five miles away from the other one. So, you know, triangular wise, it would be, it would be logistically tough to be able to to run them around because we have a, we had a highway running right through the middle of everything. So um, some of our fields are on one side of the highway and some of our fields are on another side of the highway. So that provided a little bit of challenge. Um, But with the new property um, we, we ended up um, now we'll be able to actually run a little bit larger herd in one area um, for a longer period of time. What it developed. So,
0: what is the current infrastructure on that on that new property?
1: Uh, the new place is it's 120 acres. Um, most of it is irrigated, um, and it, it it will be when it's all said and done. It will be um, a good mix of of uh, cool weather grasses and some and some warm weather grasses. Right now, um, it it was a horse property. Um, for several years, um, they would run, they would run pairs on it or yearlings on it, um, through the summer, um, and graze it down. Um, and then they, then they'd ship everything off or, or, sell everything. Um, and then, but, but most of the time they ran their horses on it, um, 365. So okay. This place was uh this place was severely horse ate, um, down to, you know, I mean it was it was bad. And um as much as we all love horses, um they can they if they're not managed, they can destroy some ground pretty quick. Um and that's kind of what ended up happening. And so what we did this year was um we ran into the same problem we ran into the very first season we started grazing. Least ground is we run our cows through and the ground kind of went into shock. We're like, Oh, we're getting eight. And so, so now, so it, it kind of stunned it for a little while. Um, no matter what kind of irrigation water we ran to it, it just wasn't, it wasn't doing anything, mm-hmm. you know, and we kind of knew that going in, that that's what we were going to have. Cause it just had that same look to it. The ground, the, the ground cover itself. Um, it didn't have any, um, sawed any mat to it whatsoever. Mm. Um, you know, and so we knew that there were there. We knew that there was going to be some challenges in that. And so we kind of prepped ourselves for it. Um, but we also didn't prep ourselves for, you know, the, the whole COVID thing and, and, uh, being able to manage through that and manage through not being able to, uh, really go and, um, be able to visit with people to see if we could find more ground to lease. Mm. Um, that, you know, that, that provided a challenge in itself. And so, um, we're, we're going to get through this year, uh, fairly well. I, you know, this next spring is going to be something that we're going to have to, uh, be, be prepared for putting in a bunch of seed. We're going to overseed it. Um, here, probably March, April, we'll wind up, um, putting down some, probably a lot of clover, probably, you know, probably get into some metal brome and some, and, in some orchard grass, but um, we'll probably wind up adding a whole lot of oats in with that mix just to get something in the soil. Um, and, and that's kind of where we're at right now. Is, um it, it wasn't cheatgrass um, that was on the place. Um, it was pretty much no grass. Uh, it was just just, low lying cover that was there and there was there was quite a bit of um orchard grass in areas where um ditches had overrun or you know things like that and when I talked to some of the neighbors down around here um uh when they saw the wheel line going and, and stuff my son and I got going, et cetera, et cetera, and they'd stop by and man, that wheel line hasn't moved in five years. It's the first time that that, that any has been put out in five years, and so you start getting this picture painted. Like, well, <laughs> now we're starting to see why the ground was the way it was. It's because uh, you know it just it kind of let say neglected, but just didn't get the care that it needed to to survive with those cool weather grasses. Um, it kind of went into dormancy, and and if it wasn't going to get fed with the water, then it just went into Went in a dormancy stage. And so this fall we had the NRCS out and, uh, Ben, our, our NRCS, uh, director here, he was, he was really good. He looked at everything and he was like, we'll have to overseed it. You'll have to, we'll have to get something going on it. Um, you know, as far as seed wise broadcasting it rather than trying to drill it. Um, and he thought that was a really good idea is to, to broadcast seed it. Um, and, and so we're going to try some new things on this place um, rather than just trying to go another year without having some production on it. We're going to try to actually force some production out of it by by broadcast feeding pretty heavy um, and breaking it up uh, that way.
0: And will that broadcast all be done at the same time? Will it be done just ahead of a uh, move of cows onto that place or how how are you guys going to? manage that?
1: Yeah, that, that's a good question. And, and we, there are some pastures, there's a, there's a 40 acre piece that's almost directly straight behind the house that, that we're going to actually um, go out because it has, it has been basically into dormancy space for a long, long time. And so we're going to go out and, uh, you know, we're going to actually go out with the tractor run a run the broadcast seeder but we're going to put a harrow about 50 to 60 foot chain behind it and we're going to we're going to broadcast seed that in and not let the cows go on it until we start seeing you know you know between your knee or so high uh forage that's going to be on it and we're going to try to put in there in that on that 40 acre piece we're going to try to do um oats uh, radishes and turnips, um, and try to, and try to actually get some, get some nutrients back down in that soil, um, run across it, graze across it with the cows, and then pretty much keep them off of it until fall, late fall, um, and wait for them, them forages to come back again. The other pieces, they were decent enough, um, this, this summer, um, that I think, Capitalizing on on some of the planting in some more orchard grass and a lot more clover, just trying to get some some root down into it, some red clover, um, trying to get something to bind in there. I think that's going to probably be one of the bigger keys. You know, once we grazed across it, um, and then we started irrigating it on another another uh, sixty acre piece. Just it's kind of actually a pretty large piece. Um, we saw some growth coming back, um, you know, after we come across it. So we were grazing and we were grazing through say, you know, uh, knee high, knee high, um, orchard grass, some Timothy, some of that. Um, but it wasn't real condensed and and nice and tight and, and, and really good forage to come across and be able to rip across it. So, but we had good, we had a good bit of, of, uh, metal brome, which was really odd. So when we were grazing it, um, the cows would actually graze down the metal brome and just trample the, the, the other stuff. And I'm just, you know, you, you, anybody that's in the soil health, you're, you're wanting that trample and that's what we were trying to get to. And so some mid, mid-summer or so, we were, we were actually trampling a lot of that grass. Well, later in the fall when Ben came out, um, we started looking at it, and we actually started seeing um, he pulled up some plants, and you could see where the roots um, were actually starting to travel sideways. And so he says, what we've done by doing that is exactly what we've all talked about as grazers, is be able to get the trample and be able to get that thing to basically make more plant." And, and so that's what, that's what we were seeing right then and there. Um, so just even in one year of just being able to graze across the ground by grazing it and putting water back to it, we were able to start seeing some results.
0: Did you guys, you guys were able to put cows on right at closing in June?
1: Yeah, actually, we were able to, uh, um, we actually were able to put the cows on uh, right around the middle part of June. Uh, right around June 15th, 14th, somewhere in um, it's when we were able to put some cows on here. And at first, what we ended up doing, it's kind of funny, got some, you know, we, we actually live way out back and there's on the end of the back road there. And there's one ranch that's just down behind us, oh, so about a mile down the road. And uh, um, some some other people kind of travel up and down the road, not very much traffic. Um, probably see a car, maybe you know, every every couple of hours go by. And so, what we did when we first got the cows here, um, the corrals um, all along the side of the, high, the, the along the side of the dirt road um, were just so overgrown with either weeds or grass, it just couldn't see nothing. And so, I wound up putting electric wire and hot wire right out on side uh, alongside the dirt road and just made the made the cows actually graze the ditch banks all the way down the whole um well, mile mile of, of driveway or mile of, of dirt road right up right alongside the the property line and then and then graze them back into the corrals and grazed all the weeds down and the, and the grasses down and stuff so we could actually see what we had and uh um, so we were using the cows that's one of the things that that well winds up being when you're When you're grazing cows um, like that, you can use them as a tool to help be able to do what we just did, you know, be able to see what what we have on our property just by doing, by grazing them out there, put electric fence along there. These cows are fully trained to it. I mean, you can have a hot wire out there and not have it on, and 99% of the cows will, will, will respect it. Of course, you'll always have that one that'll step over it if it's not, but, you know... Most of the cows will respect it, even if it's not on. But by by training them for the years that we have, they just have picked up on that's what the routine is. They're to go in and, and clean these areas and help us uh, help help make these areas uh, to where we could actually see what we have. We we did it with uh, in a in a on a piece of ground that that had uh, trees. Um, and so they had big aspen trees and cottonwoods and stuff. And and uh, we wanted to be able to go in and clean up that, that area um, and get rid of all the deadfall, all of that stuff. And so we just put electric fence around it and just kind of grazed right through all that stuff, making them clean all that up for us. Um, the only thing that was kind of a challenge at that point was actually moving the water for them, making it to where we could actually keep them in that area. But I'll tell you what what you ended up with was having the ability to see what you have in those areas, clean those areas up. You provide kind of a savanna for them. The next year you come back, you got this beautiful, nice grassy area. Um, that's really cleaned up. All the branches are picked up. All the dead fall is gone and you're able to have more grazing area. So it, it winds up being good for them. They understand it. The cows are smart.
0: I've heard Joel Salton say, you know, through modern technology, we have the ability to put an accelerator, a brake pedal and a steering wheel on the cow now with, with electric fence. And, and I can't tell you how many times I was tempted to take some net fencing and run it down the, run it down the side of the gravel road that runs in front of my house and graze my road ditch with my sheep because there, there's just so much grass there and it's all, it's all brome grass that, uh, around here you know it goes back to brome if it isn't if it isn't smooth brome if it isn't grazed and and so you know it's like man there's a lot of forage there we could get a few get a week or two out of that and and get it get something better growing there but then if i had something better growing there the temptation to it gra- graze it would be even stronger <laughs>
1: <laughs> for sure yeah and, and- you should have seen the looks of the people when they drive by like they've never seen this before somebody's grazing the ditch banks and well you know we wanted to be able to see where we you know what we had and that was we had the ditch rider come by and he's like man he says seeing them cows run through graze through the the corrals and and through that lower pasture area and along the ditch he says it's amazing I I can't believe you actually, you can actually see the corrals now and you can see where you got ditches. He says, that was just awesome. So there were people that were kind of paying attention to what we were doing. And, uh, you know, did it encourage them to do, do that themselves or do something? Who knows? But, um, you know, we could probably also be one of them crazy neighbors now. Who knows?
0: (laughs) Well, they just got to know what's possible. And if you can show them that first, then maybe there's something else that they can do, uh, what have been some of the keys to your business model? What have been some of the things that have that you have relied on uh, throughout your time of, of managing cows? Um, you know, leasing, uh, managing relationships with lease with uh, lease lessors, whatever lessees. Uh, um, you know, tools, resources, some of the things that you have relied on. Uh, as the, uh, that have helped you uh, continue doing it as long as you have, and and continue to be successful at it,
1: right? What we've done is is we try to really develop a, a relationship with the with the landowner, and, and it works with some, and it doesn't work with others, and it's okay. You got to be you got to be willing to understand that people are people, and not every one of them is going to want to, you know. It wants you to do, do the, uh, do the management, uh, the way that you're going to do it. Um, and, and so you got to decide at that moment, okay, do I, do I do it with this landowner the way he wants to, as far as he wants to be able to map out and he wants to be able to move them through and stuff. And, and I, I just, I personally, um, I don't allow that. I don't say that the cows are mine and they're my tools. Um, they're, they're something that is valuable to the ranch and, and, and that's, I don't think it's necessary that that landowner, um, should be moving them, um, uh, and doing that. And so that, that, you know, you got to watch that. Um, but most of the people that we deal with, um, are just really intrigued and, and just like the idea of, of how we graze them and how we do it. They just think it's neat to see these cows, basically be in the side of electric fence, one wire, barely knee high. And you got these animals all lined up. They're eating and you go out there and you start calling them. You roll the reel back two or three uh, clicks and all of a sudden they're all hollering. move. They move into the next section and, uh, and they're, and they're head back down and they're quiet again. And they just, there's a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of joy in that. And sometimes those landowners will want to come out and just, just watch and take part in it. And I think something that I think uh, us as grazers really should um, take advantage of is let them, let them see it, let them be part of it. But on the other side of it, I, I personally don't let them, you know, move my cows around and, and do any of that. And that's where we run into problem with, with one of the land, landowners. Um, he's a great guy. Uh, just every time I'd go out there, he'd be like, well, the cows were hollering because I was out there. So I just moved them. <laughs> no, that's not how this game's played. And, and so that worked out to be kind of a, you know, a little bit of a riff. Um, we wound up leasing his place for uh, five years and uh, in that five years, it just started getting worse and worse. And so we had to make a, a business decision what do we do with this? And, and, and really this is kind of uncharted territory for me. Um, and I just, I was like, I really didn't want to have to do what I did. Um, but I finally told him. I said, you know, I said, I can't, I can't have you doing that. And and we just can't be in a situation where, um, I can't trust where my cows are at, you know, um, and, and I need to know where they are. And I'm grazing through here. Benefiting your ground and it stuff, it, 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 turning it into stuff, turning it into a good, viable protein, and, and I just need to be able to manage that. And and if we can't come to the terms that you know you um, that you're going to leave the cows alone, then then I then I just I can't we can't do this. And so we wound up actually um, last year we wound up um, haying that ground um, just because. Um, I, I actually didn't want to didn't want to have to deal with it. So my son and I said, well, instead of grazing the cows, let's just hay it. And and he was he was just uh, in question. Why are you guys haying it? Well, <laughs> because we 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 just don't want to move the cows over there. So it wound up being being a, you know something that we had to split and and uh, and uh, break ties with that. And, and that was kind of bittersweet because that ground was one that we moved on to and it was a weed patch when we moved into it and for eight years we managed that that ground and it it was by the time it was done I had um tree foil coming back I had uh I had red clover like crazy the red clover would be dang near uh thigh high um you know first first time you grazed through it you had we had all sorts of um cool weather grasses that were coming up that were not planted there. Um, in fact, the, the guy that leased it before us had actually um, monocultured it and did it for hay. He put in um, oats and barley for the first couple of years that he had it, and then he did it into um, uh, Timothy, straight Timothy. And so um, that, that wound up being something pretty cool to see that ground come back. Um, but, the, you know, after that guy leased it, nobody leased it for several years. I want to say it was three years. And, uh, by the time we got to it, there was a lot of weeds that were moved in and, mm. and, uh, started encroaching in on stuff. And, and so all around the, the people that were around that whole area, around that, around that field were, when they saw us building that back up, they were, they were, first, they were very intrigued at what we were doing. And then by the time it was all said and done or visiting around the fence post kind of deal, um, you, you, they, they complimented, um, how well the cows did and, and, uh, they'd never seen the pasture look that good. In fact, I had one guy that was, uh, in the area has been, been in this area for 40 years and he knows that pasture well, and that field well, he drives by it every day, going to his own farm. And he says, I've never seen that, that field look that good in the 40 years I've lived here. So, That, that was a bittersweet deal having to let go of it. But on the other side of it, like, like my wife and my son and me, we all had a long talk about it. We said, well, we did it once, we can do it again. Mm. And, and, and it's, it's not over, you know, we just keep, we move on to something else. And, and, uh, you know, we had a lot of learning lessons in that. Um, we learned a lot about, about, uh, about human behavior. (laughs) And so, uh, so we, we ended up learning some lessons there. So, those are some things that I, I think um, really helped us along the way is just, just learning how to um, be able to have conversations with, with the people. And, and if you have to have a hard conversation with the, uh, with the landowner, um, that that's something that, that you really got to spend some time thinking about how you want to do it. And you don't want to do it in a um, irrational fashion. You don't want to just go and pull the plug on the thing right mm-hmm. away. You want to, Think it through and, and give it some time to really to ponder. And then another thing that you do is ask them, why is it you feel that you need to do that? And, you know, um, this particular guy, he he did get a little bit um, grumpy when I asked him why he felt like he needed to do that. But I was asking in, in a, well, in a manner of, I, I needed to know why he felt like that because I, I those are our cows. So why are you moving them? Why, why, when I come there the next day, they're all the way on the other side of the field, you know? Um, and so th- that wound up being something that we had a big lesson on. And I, I feel like we, we come out of that, uh, on the good side of it.
0: Would you say that the hard conversation was worth it though, for, you know, peace of mind and, and your own family's sanity?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. And you know what? I think it was for him too. Um, I really do. I think it was for him too, because, um, he, he understood where I was coming from. Once, once we had that conversation, um, he understood, you know, that, that, that those are those, I'm a steward of those animals and I'm a steward of his land, but those animals are actually working for me on his ground to improve his ground and also make me a paycheck. So, those belong to me. And like I told him, I said, I don't go into your barn and grab your tractor and just start driving all over the place and then park it and leave it down the neighbor's yard. This, These are tools that we own and we have here. And this is what we're doing with them. And there's a specific reason we're doing it. And it was weird because um, he, well, here's the thing. He actually bought the property after we leased it from the original owner. And we had actually started on it for three years. And then he bought it from the original owner. So he didn't know and understand the full concept of it. He wasn't in on the first part of that game. I tried explaining to him when he became the owner, the new owner of it. Um, and it just didn't, it it just didn't seem to set in on him, uh, that that's what we were doing.
0: Is what you guys are doing common uh, in your area as far as kind of intensively grazing leased land?
1: So we have, we have, a in our area in St. Ignatius, we actually have, um, a couple of big Amish community. is a big Amish community area. And so the Amish have, uh, do that quite a bit themselves, um, graze through, but as far as anybody outside of that, not really that common. Um, Ben, our NRCS, uh, representative here, he has, um, had, we've actually had, uh, Greg Judy here and we've had, uh, Jim Garrish here a couple of times in our area talking about managed grazing and, and, uh, doing those things. And, and it's been good, but there's a lot of people that are just setting their ways <laughs> And so, um, a lot of guys are like, well, why should I do it? I just, I take my, well, like for example, I'd take 400 cows and put them on an 80 acre and then move them off in, in, a, in a week and then move them to another 80 acre. And it's just, just like, well, you're already doing that managed grazing, just, you know, <laughs> you know, that's, that's really what you're doing, but just tighten it up a little bit and instead of being on there for a week be on there for a couple of days, move them around. You'll get better response. And that's what Greg Judy was really trying to get a lot of these guys to start seeing and doing and understanding. And it does work in some aspects with some people. Um, There are some guys around here that do it with uh, sheep and they'll intermix. They'll do, you know, they'll do a multi-species. They'll do, you know, cows, horses, and, uh, and sheep and, and graze them. But they're doing it, you know, on a 15, 20 acre piece and they don't have a, you know, they got what, 10 sheep or whatever, you know, and a couple of horses and, you know, some cows for their own private beef. So they are doing it in their own localized smaller operation. But as far as the larger operation, not too many are doing what we do.
0: Sure. Is that uh, water for the irrigation mostly uh, runoff from snowpack in the mountains or where's that come from?
1: Yeah, correct. Yep. Yeah. It's all done. And it was the infrastructure was built, uh, in the forties and fifties. Um, of course getting the main ditches and the, and, uh, some of the, uh, the big canals built and such. And so, yeah, it's all, it's all managed by, uh, by ditch riders and that's what it is. It's all runoff coming from, from the mission. Um, and so we, we do depend on quite a bit of snowfall and rainfall, um, so as you're closer to St. Ignatius, up or closer to the mountains, the Nish Mountains, you'll get anywhere between 17 to 20 inches of rain a year. Um, as you move further out to the west of that, like where we're at now, um, you get less and less of it. It doesn't, it basically doesn't puddle up there or pile up there. The clouds don't pile up there. Um, so we do get a little less, but the snowfall that they get on the missions is really, um, what gets us through the year, um, for sure in, in our uh, irrigation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, you talked about Jim Garish. I went to his grazing school in Nebraska and, and, uh, he said that, you know, the Passimoroy Valley, Valley is like nine inches of rain a year, but you know, they, they graze irrigated circles and they're, you know, they're on them for, way more than, way more than what the surrounding, you know, I think, what did he say? He did say what it was. It was, you know, like, I don't know if it was an animal unit. Um, yeah, they were getting, getting crazy production off the irrigated circles. And I want to say that the, that the desert patch right next to it that didn't get any of the irrigation water was like 20 or 30 times less productive than, than the irrigated circle itself. So it's crazy when you can make it rain every, every three days, it's, uh pretty, pretty powerful tool. So yeah, what, uh, what's the future of the place you're on? What are you guys looking forward to? What are some of the things you're hoping to uh, implement other than the overseeding and and those things? What are some of the things you're hoping to do in the next uh, weeks, months and, and years?
1: Well, you know, within the next, within the next probably, you know, grazing season, I'd like to see us be able to get at least another month, month and a half of grazing out of the whole operation. Um, but big, big picture, um, future picture is you know years down the road is to try to cut continually to cut our hay bill. Um, so in our area, just because of the snowfall and and where we're at, it's hard to be able to graze once we get you know thirty inches of snow it doesn't go away. It'll form a crust mm. and it and it's hard to, it's hard to graze through. And when it does go away, it's nothing but a, you know, it's just nothing but a wet mud mess. And so the cows, you know, really it's, it's hard to be able to winter graze all the way through winter. But knowing that if we can plan our, our process to where we're, we're grazing through into um, like several, for several years now we've been able to graze into middle of January on our other places and our leases this year, we weren't even able to graze into October on this place that Mm. we just bought. And so that was a huge punch in, in the gut for us, but we kind of knew that going in. So we, we were anticipating some of that, but the, the goal is, okay, let's, let's try to cut our, our hay bill in half by, by next year. How's that going to look? What are we going to implement? How are we going to do this? are we going to have to destock? Are we going to have to find another lease, try to find something there? Um, you know, another lease you're talking about, okay, these are the dollars that we're going to spend on, on a lease piece. Is that more beneficial to do that? Or is it more beneficial to actually buy hay to actually then manage, graze the hay. So you're lining hay out in areas, getting a manure impact, getting the, getting the hay impact, so on and so forth, introducing maybe some other seeds in the whole situation. These are the things that we've tried to weigh out. And, and really the, I I think if we can cut our hay bill in half within the next year or two, um, that's a, that's going to be a pretty big goal, I think, to get to, um, without destocking That's Mm. that's our end, that's our end goal. Um, we want to still be able to serve our customers. We do. We do quite a bit of um, selling selling our own beef, um, selling our own beef to people direct to customer. Um, we do send. Um, we do ship some to on the truck to to different feed yards. Um, but but we try to. We want to try to keep a, a customer base, and so our goal here is, I want to cut our hay bill in half as soon as possible but also increase double our, our customer base for our own beef. So we'll be grazing essentially more cows by the time it's all said and done, but when you're grazing the yearlings and the, and the steers that you want to finish. So there is going to be a a balance there of what, how are we going to do that? How's that going to look? And, and we're kind of looking into some, some other options for us of how we can maybe make that work. Um, we just haven't really pinned a lot of that stuff down for ourselves um, as far as, you know, a, like say a four or five year plan out. Um, it, it just things are changing so fast, rapidly in the culture today that um, <laughs> I, I see us uh, needing to fulfill a customer base, you know, beef distribution base faster then I think we're going to be able to keep up with it. I think that's going to be one of our problems. Mm. And so what do you, what do you do there? Um, You know, you, do you, do you buy some more calves from people? Do you, you know, how do you do it? Right? What's it going to turn? How's it going to look? And so these are the questions. These are the things that we've actually had to sit down and actually talk through them. What are we going to do and how are we going to face that? Because we got to think ahead um and, and know where we're going to be sitting. So, it, that, that provides a little bit of a challenge.
0: What are some of the in, indispensable tools for you guys there? What, what are some things that you, uh, so to speak, can't live without as, as grazers and managers of land, animals, people, and money?
1: You know, um, a well-trained cow is one of the most, <laughs> one of the most valuable tools you could ever have. Um, and, and, a you know having the ability to have good quality equipment you know as far as a good box a good power box um we do most of ours with um with Staffix and have uh have just a battery power a battery and we just have a charger that we put the battery on it and so having good reels um good posts um and and having the ability to have cows that are trained and what's what's unique about it is you can have you know, a group of cows um come in that you bring in to help graze some stuff down, the cows that you've already trained and developed, they actually teach them other cows how to do it rather quick. Sure. Um it just just by nature of what it is. So the value in having good equipment, um you know, buying the cheap cheap white posts at your at your Senex or whatever it might get you through if you if you run out and you need to add some more it might get you through but by the time winter comes around every one of them's broke and yeah. you lost all the stakes and it just becomes a mess so good valuable you know good value is in the post um we've we've run into some times where we've had to you know buy the cheaper wire and stuff and and we've gotten through and, and they last it lasts for a year or two maybe three um but you always try to you try to achieve that goal by getting the good wire, you know, the poly braid and stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I would say probably the best is, is a good, uh, a good box. We, we have a one and a half jewel and a couple of four jewel boxes. And, uh, that's what we do. And and I think that's probably the biggest thing. Um, you can, you can go into a place that has broke down fence posts and, and, and barbed wire hanging down, everywhere and, and people are still amazed that you keep all the cows in because you got one wire of electric fence and that, yep. that just comes down to having a good trained cow
0: yep so what what do you prefer for reels and posts and wire uh braid
1: uh, well we use the uh the old well luckily it's been good and i i certainly uh enjoy listening to podcast. and i've been been with you since uh since the 90s so <laughs>
0: Since, episode since ninety. 90. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. So, <laughs> gotcha. But that's that's where we've been from. So, I cool. appreciate it, and I thank you very much.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for your time. Have a good day. Good stuff there, Curtis. Really appreciate his time today, and really looking forward to next week for episode one hundred and seventy-one of the Working Cows podcast. We're going to talk to. Peter Ballerstedt, he is at Grass Based on a bunch of different platforms, uh, and he's talking about grass-based based health, and we'll have a bonus episode for the Patreon supporters uh, on uh, grass-based health and what he's talking about with therapeutic low-carb uh, diets and and low-carb eating and and different things like that. But uh, the main thing that we're going to focus on in the episode is we're going to talk to him about Liebig's barrel or the short stave principle or the idea that no matter how healthy all of the other sectors of your uh, farm or your soil are, the shortest or the the least healthy thing is going to be the limiting factor. And so we're going to talk to him about how he's observed that, what that means to him, and how we can uh, change the way we think about those things to start improving the limiting factors on our operations. So looking forward to that. Again, uh, Soil Health Coalition, South Dakota Soil Health Coalition, fifth annual Soil Health Conference virtually on January 6th and 7th. Head over to workingcows.net slash 170 to find the link to register and a flyer to see what's going on uh looks like a great opportunity. So we'll see you next week with another episode of the Working Cows Podcast.
1: We invite you to visit workingcows.net to subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher. You'll also find detailed show notes pages, resources from our guests, and the industry leaders who have influenced them. For more ideas on putting your cows to work for you in a more profitable way, tune in next week.